Well, today, you know, many Christians around the world are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Celebrating, this is the most important, the most spiritual, historical event in the history of mankind. And uh, most of us here, I, I believe, know that, that this is the most important event in mankind. And um, I want to talk for the next several minutes about that. I want to talk about that event. And I don't know where everybody is in their walk with the Lord. But if you will allow me, I would like to preach it more evangelistically uh, as though you never heard it before. You know, we never want to take for granted what the Lord has done for us. We, we never want to just get whole ha him ho about what the Lord Jesus has done for us. Am I in the wrong spot or something? Or let's get the, some feedback here. Um, we, we never just want to take for granted what he's done for us. One of the things that we like to pray on a regular basis, my wife and I, when we pray in the morning times, we like to thank the Lord for what he's done for us, for how he saved us and how he's delivered us from the wrath to come. And why? Because we don't want to forget that. We don't want to just take it for granted as though it's owed to us, because it's not. It's not owed to us. So we want to talk about that and whether we're a professed Christians or not, what happened over 2,000 years ago requires a response from all of us. It requires a response from every single one of us. So let's pray and we'll get into the word. Father God, we just come before you, Father, and we thank you for your precious word. We thank you for giving us your word, your truth that makes us free. And Lord, we're asking you in the name of Jesus that you speak through me to the people in the name of Jesus. Open hearts, open ears, and open eyes. We ask for your anointing, for grace deposits, truth deposits in the name of Jesus, that we see things that we've never seen before. And what we hear today will become very clear to us and very real to us regarding what you have done for us. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Do I need to switch mics or anything? Am I good? Good out there? Okay. <clears throat> Romans 5, 6. You don't, uh, I'll put a couple scriptures on the screen, but you won't, I won't ask you to turn. Normally we would turn to scriptures, but uh, I'll just kind of read them to you. In Romans 5, 6, it says this, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So today, today you know, obviously it's Resurrection Sunday. We're going to talk about what Christ did for us. You know, a lot of people there are waiting for God to reveal something to them. They are waiting for God to show them something. They are waiting for God to do something to prove himself, to prove that he's real, to prove that he exists, to prove that the Bible is true. But the Bible says that he's already demonstrated his love for us and that Christ died for us. I'm going to switch mics. Let me get that mic. All right. 
Good. I hear an, I'm hearing a humming, so maybe that's not the mic. <clears throat> so he's proven his love for us. He's already demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners. You know, I, I heard uh, uh, actually a, a lady <laughs> said to me the other day, um, she said, uh, you know, you and your man made religion. Well, that's, that's sad that people think that. And, um, you know, I don't know what she, her background, what she knows and what she doesn't know, but if you've researched at all, any history, Jesus was a real person. He was real. He walked this earth, just like Abraham Lincoln, who none of us have seen, right? Just like Napoleon, who none of us have seen or witnessed, but we believe history. And historians, scholars that are not even Christians, that don't even profess to believe in God, acknowledge that Jesus was real and the resurrection occurred. There's so much overwhelming evidence that they have to acknowledge this occurred. This happened. The evidence is overwhelming. But whether we believe that or not, whether we you know, can mentally understand that, you still have to decide. Faith is still a decision. You still have to decide, do I believe this or don't I? You have to believe it just like you have to believe. Was there an Abraham Lincoln? I've never seen him. How do I know? You have to believe it just the same way. You have to choose to believe it. But you may be wondering, you know, I don't know where everybody is in their walk with the Lord, but how did Jesus dying for me demonstrate his love? How does him dying save me? How does it help me? Well, I believe in order for us to really know what Jesus did for us, for us to really appreciate and to grasp what Jesus did for us, we have to really understand who we are and who he is. We have to understand who we are in comparison to him and who we are or who we were pre-Christ. It would be important to know who God is and who we were, right? You know, not comparing us to an ant at all, but it would be wise before an ant just come in your house and go into the areas that you walk around. It probably would be good for that ant to understand who you, who he is in comparison to you, right? And we're not ants by any means. We've been created in the likeness and image of God, but still, he is God, and we need to understand who he is. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 2.2, that there is none holy as the Lord, for none is beside him. There is no rock like our God. God is a holy God. And I know just hearing that, that might sound very religious, very cliche. Yes, God is holy. But we really need to understand what that means. What does that mean that God is holy? What does that mean that God is holy? The Prophet Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, before actually he was a prophet, actually he was being called to be a prophet, he had a vision. The Lord gave him a vision. And in that vision, in Isaiah 6.1, he says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, 
Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone. That means ruined or destroyed. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king. Notice the reaction of Isaiah. Just before he is commissioned and called to be a prophet, he realizes who he is in comparison to this holy God. He realizes who he is, that he doesn't measure up. He realizes that he is contaminated. It'd be like the ant looking at the human saying, whoa, whoa, I'm ruined. I'm destroyed. That's actually what that means if you look that up in other translations where he says, I am undone. He literally saw that and realized, whoa, who is this holy God? I don't measure up to the standard of who God is. See, God is a holy God. That means he is perfect and he is pure. And he, he has no sin in him. He is separated from anything that is wrong and anything that is evil, anything that is wicked, anything that is not right. God is completely separated from him, separated from it. He is a holy God. The Bible says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There's no darkness in God. There is nothing wicked about God. There is nothing evil about God. Contrary to what you might have heard, God is not doing bad things. God is a good God. He's a good God, and he only does good things. You know, he gets blamed for a lot of things that he's not doing. People blame him all the time for things, and they say, God, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. But God is not doing a lot of the things that he gets blamed for. The Bible says in Psalm 89, 14, that righteousness and justice are the foundations of God's throne. Mercy and truth go before his face. He sees the truth. He sees things how they really are. He knows the truth about every situation. And he is fair and he is righteous and he is good in everything that he does. Now, he gets blamed for things that he is not doing. People are very confused about what is God. They're very confused about what are the actions of God and what are the actions of the devil and what is the actions of men. The Bible says that Satan is the the, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly. So if there's destruction, if there's death, If there's killing, stealing, and destroying, it's not God. It's the thief. God is not the thief. The devil is the thief. So if you've been experiencing that, just know that's not God. But he gets blamed for this. But God is fair, and he is right, and and just in every single thing, and he is pure and holy. But a pure and holy and righteous God cannot have fellowship with sin. He cannot have fellowship and be in communion and be partner with sin. You know, the Holy Spirit through Paul tells us in the Bible that to not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. An unbeliever is someone who does not believe the message of the gospel, someone who does not believe in Jesus. 
He tells us, don't be joined together. Don't be partner. Don't be uh, mismatched with an unbeliever. He says, what, right, what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion has light with darkness? See, God would not tell us as believers, as people that follow him, not to partake with an unbeliever, not to have fellowship with unrighteousness, not to have communion with darkness, and then he himself do that. No, he can't do that. He can't fellowship with darkness. He cannot fellowship and have communion with sin. The Bible says, he actually says, be holy as I am holy. He tells us to live holy in all manner of life and conversation, and then says, be ye holy, for I am holy. A holy God cannot have fellowship with man. You see, when the first man was created, God created man. He created them in his likeness and in his image. He created them upright. He created them intelligent. They were intelligent people. He created them with their own conscience and free will. And that it, they could exercise that free will if they wanted to. They could exercise the free will, and God gave them that free will because he needed to give them their own free will to know that they were really loving him and serving him because it was their choice to do so. He didn't create robots. He created a man with a conscience and a free will. And he put his man and woman, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden, and he told them, of any tree in this garden, you can freely eat. You can eat. Be free to eat any tree in this garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And if you know the story, man chose to be an unbeliever. Man chose to not trust what God said, but to disobey and be an unbeliever. And what happens to an unbeliever? God cannot have fellowship. He cannot be partner with an unbeliever. They chose to disobey God. And when they chose to disobey God, sin entered and they were separated spiritually from God. See, the Bible says that holiness and, and, and righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. So a holy God, a just God, requires that sins must be punished. That is a requirement of a just God, just like a just God or a just judge in this earth. If he doesn't punish a crime, if he doesn't punish a, a, a heinous murder or something that took place, he would say, he's not a good judge if he doesn't hold the person accountable, right? So a good judge will hold those that do evil accountable. And the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin, the penalty of sin is death. And that's what he told them, that in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. You will die. And what does he mean by die? They died spiritually that day. That day they were cut off spiritually from God. You see, God is a spirit. And if you're going to come to God and worship God and have fellowship with God, your spirit must be alive to God. And that day they spiritually died. You ever heard the phrase, you're dead to me? Well, they literally were dead 
to God because they died spiritually. And then again, and eventually affected their life naturally because what happens spiritually affects you in the natural, in the physical. And the Bible says that wherefore by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for all have sinned. All have sinned. We couldn't blame Adam and Eve and say, oh, look what you did. Look what you caused. It says all have sinned. But because of what they did, death was passed upon all men because of sin, because the wages of sin is death. And so there is this separation now between God and the man and woman that he created, the mankind, the people that he created. There is now a separation from God. Because of sin. Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, face from you, that he will not hear you. So man has fallen, been separated from God, been separated from the blessings of God, been alienated from God. The Bible says that we were held at a distance from coming near to God. The Bible says that we were enemies, dead in our trespasses and sins. You may be thinking, well, I'm not that bad of a person. <laughs> you know, many people think that I'm not that bad of a person. I, I, I don't do things like some other bad people do. And, you know, I know I asked this person one time um, or it's been more than one time, but if you ever ask a person, do you know where you're going when they die, where you die, when you die? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're going to go to heaven? And sometimes if you know, the person doesn't know much about the Lord. They'll say, yeah, I believe I'm going to heaven because I do a lot of good things. And what they're doing is what they don't realize is that they're comparing themselves to other people who do bad things. They're comparing their life and they're saying, well, I don't do that. I don't do I don't steal. I don't cheat. I haven't, com- I haven't murdered anyone, so I must be a good person. So I guess I'm going to heaven. But the problem with comparing yourself to other people is that the goalpost is always moving. The mark is always changing, right? I mean, what was wrong 100 years ago, 50 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago is pretty widely accepted today. What we looked at just 10 years ago as wrong, people are like, hey, it's feel free to do it. Be you, be happy. So the goalpost is always changing. The mark is always changing. So what is the mark? You know, the, the Bible says if you look up the word, actually the Vines Bible Dictionary, if you look up the word sinner, it says one who misses the mark. One who misses the mark, or you could say the, the standard. One who misses the standard. What is the standard? Who is the standard? The standard of what is right or what is righteous is God. He is the standard of what is good. He is the standard of what is righteous. And the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who meets the standard of God. There is no one who meets the perfect standard of God that can measure up and compare to God. And you could put them there and say, look, this person is just like God. No, there is no one that can meet this standard. If we ever told a lie, if we ever told one small lie, we have sinned and we have not measured up to God's glorious standard. If we ever were prideful, the Bible says 
that pride is one of the sins that God hates. If we ever were prideful, that's the sin that caused Satan to be kicked out of heaven, then we've sinned. So we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we cannot compare ourselves to other people to try to determine if I'm a good person or if I'm a righteous person. Then you would also have to ask yourself, well, what generation should I compare myself to? Because I'm sure people 500 years ago would look at us today and say, whoa, how far man has come. So what standard of generation are we looking at to determine what is good and what is wrong, what is right and what is not right? The standard is God. The Bible says, for we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. One translation says, for everyone has sinned and come short of God's glorious standard. The Bible says that he looks down, he has looked down from heaven at mankind to see if there is any that understand, any that seek God, but he couldn't find any. There was none that sought God. There was none righteous, no, not one. And yet, while a sinner may be a person who habitually practices evil, who habitually practices sin, who sets out to do wrong things and evil things, a sinner could also be a person who is out there feeding the homeless, clothing the needy, giving an extra $5 at Publix to the charity that they're asking you to be involved with. That could also be a sinner. There will be a day, though, that we will stand before the Lord and we give an account for our life. The Bible says we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And it's a very sobering, very sobering reality and truth that if we did reject God while we were on this earth, if we did not accept him, if we did not believe in God, the Bible says that we'll experience eternal separation and punishment from God. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. You say, man, that seems severe. That seems harsh. Why so serious of a punishment? No, the question is, why should he allow people to spend eternity with him, to live with him who have rejected him, who said, I don't want to believe in this God. I don't want to have nothing to do with God. That would not be fair to those that said, I choose to live for this God. I choose to worship him. For God to say, well, you know what? You can come and these people who rejected me can come too. That would not be fair and that would not be just for God to do that. So to allow the obedient with the disobedient, no, that would not be righteous and fair. But God doesn't take joy in any person being separated and experiencing eternal punishment and eternal damnation. God does not take joy in any person experiencing that. The Bible says that it is not his will that any man perish. It's not his will. Not his, it's not his decision. He gave us all a free will and a choice it's our decision, but it's not his will that any man perish. He wants all to come to repentance. He wants all of us to come to God. And so God, 
even before man's rebellion took place, he had a plan that would save his man. He had a plan that, recon- that would reconcile man back to him. He had a plan that would restore fellowship that he once had with the man he created back to him. He had a plan to redeem his man. But that plan would involve one life for another. That plan would involve taking a life, a life being sacrificed for others. You see, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Someone has to pay the price for sin. You know, the, what is the evidence of sin? That, or I should say that a death has occurred. The evidence that a death has occurred, or one of the evidences, is shed blood. Is blood being shed? The Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of all the flesh is in the blood. And the Bible says in Hebrews 9.22 that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. Someone's life would have to pay the price. Yes, the plan was, yeah, the penalty for sin is death, but they will not have to pay for it. God said they will not have to pay for it. I will come to earth as a man. I will pay the price for their sins. I will pay the penalty of their sins. They will not have to pay for it. I will pay for it with my own life, with my own blood. They won't have to pay for it. Glory to God. And this would satisfy the justice of God. This would satisfy the justice requirement of God. But God did not do this right away. He didn't do it right away. Our text said, at just the right time. I mean, you know, God is smarter than us. He knew what the right time was. He knew that man needed to realize their need for a Savior. Man needed to realize, I need a Savior. He didn't do this right after Adam and Eve sinned. Because even after Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't realize, I need help. I need to go to God. No, what did they do? The Bible says that they made fig leaves, that they gathered fig leaves and covered themselves with the fig leaves. They took leaves and tried to cover their embarrassment and their shame. Before, there was no embarrassment of shame. They were naked. They weren't embarrassed or ashamed about it until sin came. And so they tried to cover themselves with it. Instead of going to God, they try to hide the issue. They try to hide their embarrassment. And men and women are still doing this today. They are trying to do all these actions and deeds and good things to try to outweigh the bad things they have done, hoping that if they've done enough good, that will hide all the problems and sins in their lives and hoping that they'll be okay with God. But it was not okay with God. God had to actually sacrifice an animal. What is that? Shed blood. Blood was shed. He sacrificed an innocent animal because the wages of sin is death. Something, someone has to pay. And he took this animal and took the skin of the animal and covered them with the skin of this animal. Covered their nakedness, covered their shame. And every year, year after year, man would have to make sacrifice with an animal to cover their sin. An innocent animal would have to be sacrificed. Blood would have to be shed to cover the sins 
of the people. And they, this would be by way of a priest that would represent the people. And he would put the animal on the altar. And the altar representing the place that things were, were, got, were sacrificed and offered to God. The animal would be placed on the altar, killed, and the blood would be shed for the people's sins. But it would only cover the sins of the people. It would only take care of the sins of the past year. This would have to be done repeatedly and repeatedly. Why? Because the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away the sins of man. Man is not an animal. Man is not an animal. The blood of a bull or a goat cannot take away our sins. No more than uh, your cat or your dog can take away the punishment or pay for the punishment of a crime that you have committed. God would need a spotless, sinless, blameless man to come and take away the sins of man. He would need a man that was innocent, that was void of any wickedness and evil. And that man was the Son of God. The Son of God would have to come to earth as a man. But he stripped himself of his divine nature and his deity. The Bible says in Philippians 2, 7 that he came in the likeness of men. Actually, one translation says this. He emptied himself without renouncing or diminishing his deity, only temporarily giving up the outward expression of divine equality and his rightful dignity, assuming the form of a bondservant. And being made in the likeness of men, he became completely human, but was without sin, being fully God and fully man. See, this is why Christians all over the world are celebrating today, because the creator came, became the creation. The son of God became the son of man, and he became a baby and was born just like you and me. And he grew up to be a man, and they called him Jesus. They called him Jesus. And just like every other person, he dealt with the weaknesses that we deal with. He, deals with the he dealt with the temptations that we have dealt with, that we deal with. So he could relate to us. He could understand what we're going through. He could understand and relate to who we were. The Bible says in Hebrews that in all points, Jesus was tempted like us. In every category of sin that you can think of, that you might have been tempted in, Jesus was tempted in it. But the Bible says, yet without sin. He didn't sin. He didn't sin. See, it's not a sin to be tempted. Isn't that good news? It's not a sin to be tempted because Jesus was tempted in every way. But he did not sin. He became a man that had to fully depend on the Father God. He had to fully depend on his Father for strength. The Bible says, Jesus said, without the Father, I can do nothing of my own. I can do nothing on my, by myself. I can only do and say what I hear the Father tell me. He could do nothing of himself. See, Jesus did not necessarily come to be recognized either as God. He didn't come to be recognized or to be served as God. Actually, Jesus himself said, for the Son of Man has not come to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. What is a ransom? A ransom is a, some type of payment held for a, a payment that's demanded for a prisoner. For a hostage, 
We were those prisoners. We were those prisoners. And he came to give his life as a payment for us. There was nothing about him, the Bible says, that when you would see him, that would naturally cause you to desire him in his appearance. If you saw Jesus walking down the street, you wouldn't say, man, there is something about him. There's a glow about Unless the Lord revealed it to you, you would not know just by looking at his natural appearance that there was something about him that was of God. No, the Bible actually says that he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and he was rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. But the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they hated Jesus. They hated Jesus because he claimed to be the Son of God. They hated Jesus because of the miracles and the healings that he was doing. It was challenging the religious system. It was challenging their traditions and their way of life. And so they hated Jesus because of that. And so they arrested him. They had him tried and brought to Pilate and had him sentenced to death. And they crucified him on a cross. The cross was a, would be like the, the worst execution for a criminal today. Now, that's what it was back then. Only the worst criminals died by execution on the cross. But Jesus, what they didn't know was Jesus got on the altar of his own free will. The altar being the cross. See, they thought they crucified Jesus, but Jesus got on the altar of his own free will. Jesus said himself, he said, I lay down my life. I lay my, down my life that I might take it again. No man takes my life from me. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it in again. And this command was given to me of my father in heaven. He laid his life down. The Bible says he who knew no sin became sin for us. He became the substitute for all people to represent all man. He sacrificed himself for every single one of us. He became the perfect, sinless, spotless sacrifice. He became the spotless sacrifice that John the Baptist says that takes away the sin of the world. Why is this so important? Why does this matter? Because when Jesus got on that altar, when Jesus got on that cross, every one of our sins, past, present, and future sins, were placed on Jesus when he went on that cross. Every one of our sins was placed on him. What does that mean? That means if your sin was judged, you don't have to be judged. If your sin was judged when Jesus was judged, you don't have to be judged because he was judged in our place. He was judged in your place. We should have been the ones paying the price. We should have been the ones being eternally separated from the Lord. We should have been the ones paying the penalty of death. But Jesus paid the full price of our sins. He paid it all. Glory to God. He paid it all. He paid it all. The Bible says he is the propitiation for our sins. 
and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What does that mean? He's the propitiation of our sins. He is the atoning sacrifice, or in other words, he is the satisfaction of the justice of God. His sacrifice satisfied the justice requirement of the righteous judge of all the earth. And unlike the Old Testament, where the animals only covered the sins of the people, Jesus' own blood took away the sins of the people. It took away our sins. It didn't just, it didn't just cover them. It washed them completely away. But he didn't just die and that was it. On the third day, the Father God raised Jesus from the dead, and he ascended to our Father, God. He ascended to the Father, and he represented him, us to the Father. And he said, look at the shed blood that I have shed for the sins of the people. Look what I have done. And the Father, the righteous judge of all the earth, looked at it and said, I will receive that as payment for sins of all mankind. He received it as payment, as penalty for all of our sins. The Bible says that he didn't enter by means of calves and goats, but he entered into the holy place once for all by his own blood thus obtaining eternal redemption. He didn't enter with the blood of animals. He didn't enter with the blood of a, another uh, lamb or bull. He entered with his own blood, and the Father accepted it. And it says once for all, there will never, ever again be the need for another sacrifice for a sin. Nothing that you can do uh, could earn what Jesus did for us. He took away our sins once and for all. Hallelujah. He represented all of us to the Father God. Before all mankind, the Bible says that Jesus redeemed us. We've been redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus. The debt of sin has been paid. The, the sacrifice has been completed. The blood of Jesus did what the blood of bulls and goats could never do. That's why when Jesus got on the cross, he said, it is finished. What does that mean? There will never need to be another sacrifice for sins again. What Jesus did took away our sins completely. He was judged in our place. If he paid for it, that means you don't have to pay for it. If he was judged in our place, you don't have to be judged because he was judged for us. And get this, the Bible says, in Adam, all die. But in Christ, all shall be made alive. In Adam, we died to God. But in Christ, when you get in Christ, what does that mean? When, when you receive Christ, when you receive Jesus, he lives in you, you live in him, and now you are made alive to God. In Christ, all are made alive. See, when he, Jesus, was raised out of sin and death, we were raised out of sin and death. When we receive Jesus, we are raised out of sin and death, and we now can be alive to God. We can be alive to him and have fellowship with him. We just have to receive what he's done for us. Everything that Jesus did was for us. 
It says, for he made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Why do we celebrate today? What is the significance of today? What does this mean for you and I? You and I can be right with God. You and I can have fellowship with God. We can have and spend eternal life with God. We can have fellowship with the Father God. We can be reconciled to God. And Jesus is the only way that any of us can come boldly to the throne room of grace. Otherwise, we do not deserve to be there unless we receive what Jesus did. If Jesus did not do what he did, we cannot have access to the Father. We would be eternally separated from the Father. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Even though this is a free gift, this free gift of righteousness is available to us and it's free, you don't have to receive it. God is not going to force any one of us to receive what Jesus has done. He doesn't force you. He doesn't say, receive this gift. No more than if you bought somebody a birthday present, they don't have to receive it. They can say, no, I don't want it. Well, it's the same thing with us. We have to receive what Jesus did for us. We have to receive what he did for us. The Bible says, for by grace you are saved through faith. Grace is unearned. You didn't earn this gift. You didn't merit this gift. It's undeserved, a gift. It says by grace, by this gift, unearned, unmerited, undeserved, you are saved through faith. But it's by faith, it's by believing. That it's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, not anything you can do, not any of your actions, so that any man no man shall be able to boast. No man can boast about how good of a person they are, what they've done. Look at me, look at all the actions and all the good deeds I've done. No, we're all on the same level. We all have sinned. And unless we receive this free gift of grace, we will be separated from God. You can't earn salvation. You can't do enough good things to earn what Jesus did. It's a free gift. And Jesus is the only way to God. He's the only way. There is no other way to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way. And his resurrection proves that he's the Son of God. It proves he is who he said he was. He is the way to God. Why would he do this? Why would Jesus do this? Why would God do this? The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We hope this message has encouraged you today. For more information on our ministry or to donate, visit onewayministries.net.